All right, good evening. Good to be in here. Good to be here on a Wednesday night with just the guys. I was uh, joking around with Maggie. I said, you know, since the ladies aren't, aren't in here, all my illustrations tonight are going to be about you. All right? I'm just going to let it rip. But just had too much material to whittle down, so I decided against that. All right. But we're going to be uh, tonight, uh, let's start where we started last week in uh, Titus chapter 2. And just read the first couple verses there. Titus chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Now you notice that first verse that we just started there, or the first word of the first verse that we started there in chapter 2 started with a conjunction, right? The word but. And that's a word that links the, what was just said with the thought that we have there in chapter 1. We're not going to read through chapter 1, but if we did, as uh, Brother Phil broke down last week, uh, that the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to Titus, that he was leaving him there uh, in Crete to ordain uh, pastors and to set things in order. And then he gave him some qualifications of a pastor. And one of those qualifications was that in verse 9, he should hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. And he's telling me they need, they need to be able to hold fast the faithful word that they've been taught because he tells them later that there's going to come in men who are vain talkers and deceivers. He says, especially they of the circumcisions whose mouths must be stopped, right? There's vain talkers and deceivers, uh, men crept in unawares, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing uh, that want to come in and corrupt that faithful word that they've been taught. Take them away um, from what is uh, true and what they've been uh, learned of Jesus. And then we come to chapter 2, but in contrast, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So in contrast to these that are trying to pull you away from the faithful word that you've been taught, you need to speak the things which become sound doctrine. And uh, part of the first thing that he tells them to teach that are things that become sound doctrine is that there's a way uh, that godly men and godly women ought to behave. There's a certain way that godly men and godly women ought to behave. And there's a certain way that the aged men, the aged godly men, uh, characteristics that they ought to exemplify, be examples of uh, and teach those things and exemplify those things to the younger men. And that's exactly what we're doing here tonight as the ladies are doing the same thing across the hall. Is that we're going through these things and teaching them. And last week, uh, Brother Phil kicked it off uh, with teaching about being sober. And we saw, see the next thing on the list there is grave. Now, I didn't pull the grave card, uh, but mine is uh, temperance. Uh, so tonight, uh, we are going to be talking about temperance. And this is something that we should be a little familiar with if you were all here on Sunday night because... Uh, Pastor Wally just preached a great message on the fruit of the Spirit, right? One of parts of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. So obviously, as the men here of Bible Baptist Church, God obviously wants us to know something about temperance right now. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, temperance. And what is temperance? Pastor Wally defined this last night, uh, or, or sorry, Sunday night for us as self-control, 
right? Self-control, and that's, that's exactly what it is. Uh, but sometimes I feel like because we give it that little two-word definition that we often uh, don't really have a good idea of what all that encompasses, right? A lot of times, and I know I have in times past, when you think about temperance and when you think about it being self-control, we often limit it to just like controlling negative feelings or negative emotions like anger, right? We often limit it to just, you know, being temperate in, you know, our, our anger and controlling ourselves in that way. But it, it's so much more than that. In fact, it's, it's so much more than even just negative uh, feelings, right? It can even be positive feelings, right? You, we can be, have, be out of control with trying to overcharge ourselves with mirth, with happiness, right? And that exactly characterizes our culture right now, right? They don't want to face anything sad, anything bad, anything that would have to be hard, right? Everything needs to be happy, happy, happy all the time. They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything that would make them unhappy, right? And look, God has created us and given us all the emotions that we have, right? Including sadness, right? It, because there's a time for both happiness and there's a time uh, for sadness. And you can actually be out of control uh, trying to overcharge yourself by being in the house of mirth, being in the house of happiness too much. Uh, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Right, and anybody that has been in the house of mourning can attest that this is true. You know, it's been probably not quite a year. I think it's actually a year exactly to the date that my grandfather went home to be with the Lord, Raymond Webb. And so it was just a year ago now that we were in the house of mourning. Right, we rejoiced because he knew Jesus Christ. We know where he is. We know that we're going to see him one day. But of course, we mourn in those times because he's not here with us. And, but I can tell you that going to that funeral and, and that time of mourning did much more for my heart uh, than a party ever would. Did much more for my heart than trying to go and, and entertain myself with something because uh, I got to think about my grandpa being in heaven. I got to think about his eternal destination. Uh, I got to think about me being in heaven with him one day. I got to think about things beyond this life. You see, when you're in the house of mirth, you're only thinking about the things that are right in front of you. Right? You're only thinking about that pizza that you're shoving in your face. You're only thinking about that ice cream. You're only thinking about uh, the fights or the sporting event that you're watching Right? when you're at House of Murph. And then when it's over, it's over. And, and that's why people have to keep seeking it after it again and again and again. And they're never satisfied, never filled with it uh, because they're just overcharging themselves with things that are not going to make their heart better. Right? So you can even be out of control uh, with positive uh, feelings. And I say that just to get our minds thinking that, that temperance is so much more than what we might think that it is. Right? Temperance is self-control, but that encompasses an awful lot of things. Right? Temperance defined in the uh, dictionary says moderation in action, thought, or feeling, restraint. Another definition is habitual moderation in indulgence of appetites, or passions. You know, um, moderate, or I'm sorry, temperance is one of those things that uh, I think becomes more important 
uh, as you age. And I think there's a, a, a reason, a specific reason why it's taught here that the aged men need to teach uh, temperance. Because as we grow, temperance is going to become more important in our lives. Right? Because temperance is really uh, being able uh, to govern yourself. Being able to govern yourself, not having mommy and daddy tell you what to do, not having a babysitter, not having a nanny, not having someone over your shoulder to make sure you're doing the right things that you're supposed to do. That's what temperance is, is being able to govern yourself. And see, when you're young, you have mommy and daddy, you have the teachers, you have uh, people in your life who are going to make sure that you do the things that you're supposed to do. But while you're young, you need to learn to develop temperance because it's going to become more important as you age. Right, Because as you age, you, as you young men leave father and mother and cleave to your wife, well, mommy's not going to be there to wake you up anymore. Make sure you get your booty to work. Right? Mommy's not going to be there uh, to make sure that you're doing the things you're supposed to. Right? That's why we have so many uh, kids that grow up in church, and then once they leave father and mother, they are not in church anymore. Because they never learned to be temperate and they never learned to take responsibility for themselves and to do the things uh, that are good on their own. And so then once they got of age, they stopped doing them. And that's why it becomes more important as we age because there's not going to be anybody over your shoulder making you do the things that you're supposed to do. Right? As you get more independence and more freedom and more autonomy, uh, sometimes there's more temptation not to do what we're supposed to do because we don't have to. We, we, we don't have to. We have that freedom. We can make that choice that we can do them or not. So it's important that we, we develop uh, temperance, uh, that we develop an ability to, to govern ourselves. Right? And so the first uh, point that I want to make tonight here is to show the great need, the need for temperance. Uh, see, because I first think that we're not going to desire something unless we first see the need for it. Right? When we go out soul winning, the first thing that we uh, preach to people is that they're sinners. Right? We appeal to their conscience that uh, they're guilty before God and that they're going to die and spend all of eternity in hell uh, without fixing that problem. You see, Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Right? People have to first see the problem before they want the solution. And so tonight we're going to start with the need uh, in our lives for temperance. Uh, so let's go first to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. If you remember back to the definition, you know, synonymous with uh, temperance, the word temperance, and that word's really not used in all of its forms very many times in the scripture, I think only six. Uh, but a word that's synonymous with temperance is moderation. And so here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. You see, uh, the need that we have, the first need I want to point out that we have for temperance is that the Lord is at hand, that the world needs to see people who are governed by the power of God and not governed by their own flesh and not governed by the way the rest of the world is. 
right? The, as it says in the scriptures, you know, our salvation is nearer now than when we, were, than when we first believed. You know, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Right? The day is at hand. So we need to put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Right? The, the judge standeth at the door. You know, one day we're all going to give account before God, and with each and every passing day, it comes closer and closer. And so the Lord being at hand, the judge being at the door, is a good reason uh, why we need to be temperate. We need to let our moderation be known unto all men because uh, our world needs to see that. Uh, because when we exemplify that out in the world, we're letting our light so shine before men that they may see our works and glorify our Father which, in which is in heaven. We're reminded them that there's a judge and one day that he is coming. Right? Because uh, when we don't do the same things that they do, when we don't yield to the same temptations that they do, uh, when we're not governed the same way that they are by their flesh, they think it. Wherein, as it says in 1 Peter 4.4, 4, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Right? They think it's strange. Right? That we ought to be a peculiar people. That's what the world needs to see. They need to see a peculiar people that are willing to govern themselves uh, according to the faithful word that we've been that's been passed down to us, and not like the rest of the world is. You see, nobody has a problem uh, with a, a Christian who just lives their life like everybody else, right? There's nobody's persecuting a Christian who is a lukewarm Christian that's just running to the same excess of right. They're no threat. Right? They're, they're taking their light, if they have light, the, the light that, in, that is in them is darkness. Right? They're taking their light and they're hiding it under a bushel. Uh, their salt has, has lost its savor. Right? Nobody's bothered by that uh, because then guess what? Their deeds are not reproved. Right? We're, we, we're so worried about what's happening in politics and, and who's going to get in. And I heard a Christian lady uh, this week that I had as a client. She was more concerned with who's going to be on city council and trying to get herself on city council so they could change laws and do this and that uh, because that's how she thought she could really affect change in the world. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I think you got it wrong. Instead of get on the council, no, put that all aside. Uh, why don't you get in the fight and join the Lord's army? Amen. Right? Uh, that's how uh, we're actually going to uh, affect change in our world is uh, we actually need to let our moderation be known to all men. We need to let our light so shine and that light reproves the deeds of darkness. You know, that, that's what they hate. That's when they get mad. That's when we can truly affect change. And, you know, some people get mad, but then, you know what, others, they get convicted. You know, uh, again, like I said, uh, people don't see their need for a Savior until they first uh, see that they're lost. And, and if we're not letting our moderation be known unto all men, if we're not letting our light shine, if we're not sh showing a difference between the way we behave and the way the rest of the world behaves, well, they don't see a need for our Savior. Oh, I'm not doing anything different than that guy. I'm not, he's not any better than I am. I'm a good person. That's why, unfortunately, when we knock doors, we have so many people that say, oh, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. 
Right? And you know what? Probably compared to their Christian friends, they are a good person. And that's why they think that way. You know, we have a need uh, for temperance. We need to let our moderation be known to all men. But the worst thing that we could do in proclaiming the name of Christ is, you know what? To have the right doctrine, to go to the right church, to have the right Bible, and to say the right things, but then not do them ourselves. To not control ourselves. The worst thing that we could do is have a testimony that we're Christians, but we, we don't control ourselves enough to live any different than the rest of the world. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We need to then have the need for temperance for the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul talks about his suffering, how he suffers all things for the gospel's sake. And how he becomes all things to all men uh, for the gospel's sake. And he says here in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 9, he says, And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not so as uncertainly, so I fight, I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see, isn't it a shame that, uh, you know, there are people striving for masteries in the world uh, that they'll give up everything in life. They will temper themselves. Uh, they will control every aspect in their life. They'll be temperate, as it says, in all things just for a corruptible crown. If you've ever watched any kind of a, a sports documentary or if you've ever watched a documentary on somebody who's, who's striving for mastery, who's really trying to be the best at what they do, I mean, they're almost, they're, they're psychotic about it. Everything in their life truly is, they are temperate in everything, including the relationships in their life. Nothing comes before the mastery of what they're trying to do, right? They are temperate in all things. Uh, and you know what? We need to have that same mentality. You know, I don't know why, uh, as Christians, uh, we think that it's acceptable just to offer God mediocrity. Why in the world when uh, we, we adore uh, sports figures who will give up everything in their life, including their family, and just be complete dirtbags in their personal life uh, so that they can master their sport. They're temperate even in taking care of their own kids uh, so they can master their own sport. And we'll elevate these people, uh, you know, as idols in our life. But then as Christians, we think it's okay just to, you know, give God the scraps. Or even just put God on the same plane as everything. You know, actually, all other things in our life should be temperate in comparison to how we handle God in our life. You know, and, and we might have the right message, we might have the right Bible, but if we don't learn to control ourselves, then we're going to be like what the Apostle Paul said, he's afraid of being here. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see, if we're not temperate and we claim the name of Jesus Christ, then we are just going to be a castaway. Amen. You know, our message isn't going to mean as much when we don't do what we say. Uh, when we're not willing to, to stand on the faithful word that we're proclaiming that we believe in. 
We're not willing to do it. That we have to have somebody over our shoulder uh, telling us what to do and when to do it. Right? Our, our world doesn't need to see that. Our world needs to see people who Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night are getting in their cars and packing up and going to church. Our world needs to see people who are out there knocking on doors trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. Our world needs to see people, uh, kids who are at their school boldly carrying their Bible and, and preaching Jesus Christ to their friends. Right? Uh, we don't need to just be uh, Christians in word only, but also in deed, so that we also will not be cast away. Right? We, that's a great need for uh, temperance. Well, also, one last thing here that we see the great need for temperance is uh, to make our, our calling and election sure and to have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. Go with me to the book of 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Now, Second Peter uh, chapter one, you know, we kind of get an idea right off the bat of, of kind of the uh, theme, a major theme of this letter, right? Because we have been saved uh, by the power of God, you know, we've been delivered, as it says, from the corruption that is in the world through lust, and been made to be partakers of the divine nature. Uh, we need to add to our faith. That's the point that he's writing here. He's saying, look, you've been saved. Now you need to add to your faith. Right? Salvation is a free gift. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But it takes diligence uh, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to live as a, a Christian. And we need to diligently be adding to our faith. And look what it says here uh, in verse 5. It says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Virtue. You know, being a good person, be having good character. You know, that's where we get the virtuous woman. And to virtue, knowledge, right? Uh, add to your faith. We ought to know something about the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to read our Bibles. Uh, and to knowledge, temperance, right? Self-control. And to temperance, patience. And look, if you're uh, going to start living your life temperately, you're going to need patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. I want you to look what it says in these next few verses, though. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a reason to be temperate. Here's another good reason. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, again, when you're not temperate, uh, you're just looking at the things right in front of you. Like I said, you're not looking at eternal things, but you're also not looking behind you either. You're forgetting that you've been purged from your old sins, that you've been made to be a partaker of the divine nature. You're not looking forward and you're not looking behind. You're just looking right, what's right in front of you, right? And then he says here in verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. There's, there's one reason that we need temperance, to make our calling and election sure. Now, I don't, I don't think that this is talking about salvation here. He's already talking about saved people. When you think about the word calling, you know, that's like a, a job, a work that we do, right? Uh, the word vocation, it also means a, a calling. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, says in Ephesians, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Right? When you ask somebody what's their vocation, 
right? We're talking about what's their career, what's their life's calling, right? Your calling and your election. You know, when God calls us, you know, he elects us to be his workmen. Uh, he calls us to, unto good works. And, and so a lot of times you have Christians who don't know their place in the body of Christ, who don't know uh, where they should be or what they should be doing because they're not adding these things to their faith. They're just wandering around, not knowing what they're supposed to be doing with their Christian life because they're calling elections not sure because they didn't add to their faith. And temperance is a part of that. Look, if you don't know what you, where you're supposed to be at as a Christian, maybe you need to go back to starting to add some of these things into your faith and temperance is one of those things. You know, but not only uh, to make our calling election sure, but look what it says here in verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, I'm glad to be going to heaven, Amen. but don't you want to go first class? Right? I want to be going to heaven, but I also want to be going first class. I want an abundant entrance. Right? I, I want to go in uh, with rewards. I want to go in, uh, you know, not forgetting that I was purged from my old sins. Uh, I want to go in having walked with God and, and go right on into the kingdom with an abundant entrance. You know, but we, we need temperance uh, for these things. And so I got to hurry because I don't have much time. I'll finish this last point. Uh, but... Now that we know the great need for temperance, we're just going to talk a little bit about how. How to be temperate. Now, Pastor Wally already uh, covered this, really, on Sunday night. You know, the, the way that we're temperate is, is by walking in the Spirit, right? Part of the fruit of the Spirit uh, is temperance, right? And so uh, each and every one of us as Christians has the ability to be temperate. Uh, uh, because each one of us is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so when we personally choose to walk in the Spirit, a byproduct of that is the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, right? And so how we walk in the Spirit and how we take advantage of that is it first starts in our mind. Uh, it first starts in our mind. Before anybody ever loses control in their body and their actions outwardly, you lost the battle first in your mind. You lost it first in your mind. So the battle for temperance, the way that to be temperate, you need, it needs to first start in your brain and first start in your head, in your mind. Go with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. What it says here in verse 22. For I delight... In the law of God after the inward man. That's the inward man. That's the spirit. But I see another law in my members. That's our body, our flesh. Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, we've got a dual nature now. Until we uh, are with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this flesh nature uh, that in it dwelleth no good thing. And we have the inward man, which is of God, uh, which is of the Spirit. Uh, and we serve uh, God in our mind, in the Spirit, and not in our bodies, in our flesh. That means uh, if you're waiting... Uh, to do something 
because it feels good, that's the, that you've already lost. Amen. You have to make up your mind. You have to make up how, how long halt you between two opinions, right? You've got to decide, are you going to follow the spirit or are you going to follow the flesh? And feelings come from our flesh. If you're waiting to do the right thing when it feels good, well, then you're losing. You need to make up in your mind beforehand to do what is right. Uh, it starts first in your mind. You see, I have clients all the time, and I tell them, you know, to do their exercise. And I say, look, if you're just going to wait until the right part of the day, until you feel good enough to do your exercise, you're never going to do your exercise. Right? You need to make it up in your mind. You need to set a point in time in the day, every day, routinely, no matter how you feel, to do your exercises. And then when you do that diligently, week after week, then you're going to reap the benefits. Uh, but don't wait until you feel like doing it. Because you're never going to feel like doing it. Yeah. Right? Don't wait to doing what right, what's right feels good. Because it's in your flesh, it's never going to feel good. A lot of times it feels bad. You know, a lot of you probably have felt pretty bad to have to come into church tonight. Because you worked hard all day, your body hurts, and your body felt like staying at home. But you had to make up in your mind first, I'm going to go to church because that's what's right. Because I want to follow God because I want to be led by the Spirit, not by this stupid carcass of mine. Amen. Right? You've got to make it up in your mind first, though. You've got to decide first. Why, how do you think Joseph, when he fled from uh, Potiphar's wife, you know, again, Potiphar, a captain of the guard, Right? This was a guy who was prominent in Egypt. You know, he didn't have some slop wad of a wife. That lady was probably a really good looking lady. And she was tempting him every day, day after day. And, and do you think Joseph just waited until it, it felt wrong in his body just to run on out of there? No, he, he knew that he would be sinning up against God. He knew that in his mind to yield to that woman would be a sin against God. And the only thing he could do was run. Because probably every fiber of his body uh, wanted to lie with her, but he made it up in his mind first that he was not going to sin against God. That's why Jesus said, if you look on a woman with lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Right? Uh, you've got to make up in your mind first, guys, that you're going to make a covenant with your eyes and that you're not going to look on a woman. Right? Because if you just yield into that thought in your mind and think, well, it's not, as bit, not that bad of a deal if, as long as I'm not physically doing it, well, you've already lost. If you can't control your mind, you're not going to be able to control this flesh. And it dwelleth no good thing. There's no way. One last scripture and I'm done. 2 Corinthians. The battle for temperance starts in the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, right? The, the weapons of our warfare are not in our bodies. They're not in the flesh. They're not physical weapons. In verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds, right? The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. The Holy Spirit, the, the Word of God, which is spirit and which is life, um, they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And then look what it says here in verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. See what it said there? Casting down imaginations. And he says there uh, uh, bringing every thought into captivity. 
That would acknowledge itself against Christ. See, we've got to start this battle in our minds. The first time we have a thought that, it, that uh, exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we need to lock that thing up. We need to lock it up. Uh, we need to cast it down. You know, you'll have no problem praying without ceasing if you start doing this. You know, if you start taking control of your mind, you'll have no problem. You know, and we need to not play with imaginations. We need to cast down imaginations, right? How often does bad things happen outwardly because we didn't first cast down those imaginations inwardly? You have a conflict with somebody, and so in your mind, you think it's okay to have a fight with them. And I don't know about you guys, but when I have fights in my mind with people, I always win. Right? But you think it's okay to have an argument where you have all the best points and everything in your mind and you're fighting with this person and not loving this person in your mind. It's okay as long as I don't outwardly manifest it. And then you wonder why you can't control your tongue uh, when you get into a, a debate with that person or, or something physically. You wonder why you can't control your anger. You can't control yourself because you first lost the battle in your mind. You have to cast down those imaginations. You have to lock them up. The battle for temperance starts in the mind. And that's how... Uh, we are going to be temperate. And I could say more, but I don't have time. So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Pauline.